Yes, we want you to be connected here at Bentry, so we invite you to join a group. Uh, Tuesday morning and Tuesday night Bible studies just kicked up, uh, kicked off for all the ladies in the house. Come on, Tuesday morning, Tuesday Bible study ladies. Man, they're awesome. They've been doing this for 36 years, leading that Tuesday morning Bible study. Maybe not the same people, but that study group has been going on. So we're so glad for all of the many opportunities that we invite you to get connected. So we welcome you today online and right here in Carrollton. We're so thankful that we get to be together, to worship together as the priesthood of God, the assembly of God, the people of God, his people, his chosen race. Come on, let's give yourselves a hand for worshiping together and being together all over this room and wherever you are today. I've heard it said that the two most important days of your life is the day you were born and the day you realized why. The day you realized the why of your existence. Why is it that God brought me into the world? What is my purpose in the world? In our culture today, we often talk about passion. And passion is amazing. We should all have passion. But what's better than passion is purpose. What's better than passion is purpose. Because you could feel good all your life and all the while be doing wrong. If passion is void of purpose, you can spend your whole life feeling good but doing wrong. And not necessarily wrong in terms of moral or immoral, wrong in terms of missing the mark for which you were created. Our culture, we talk a lot about adding more days to our life. Do this diet, follow this physician, have this surgery, and maybe you can have more days to your life. But what's better than adding days to your life is adding life to your days. Living with purpose, living with meaning, living for that which God has created you. Perhaps you have asked the questions of purpose like, why am I here? What is life all about? God, why have you made me? What am I supposed to do in this season of my life? Have you asked that question? Are you asking that question? And if you are, you are on the thrilling journey of discovering purpose. Purpose. In the New Testament, one individual, this expert in the law, asked Jesus around the same question. He worded it differently, but he really wanted to know what mattered the most to Jesus. In fact, what mattered the most to God. In Luke 10, here's how he phrases the question, Luke 10, verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In those days, eternal life was the purpose of your life. So he's asking, what do I have to do to enter, to begin eternal life? In Matthew's recording of the same event, Matthew says it like this word a bit differently. Matthew records in chapter 22, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command is in the law is the greatest? Which command in the law is the greatest? And so this expert of the law has learned all of the 613 some Jewish laws and he's trying to live them out the best he can. But now he wants Jesus to give him the most important one. What is the one command? What's the one thing, Jesus, you want me to do with my whole life? How do I inherit eternal life? What's the most important command? What is the purpose of our existence? And Jesus answers this question of the ages. But what God has created you and I to do with our life. And here's how Jesus answers this question. 
in verse 37, he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus says, you want to sum it all up? The 613 laws, centuries and thousands of years of prophetic writing and laws given to the people of Israel. Here it is. Love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, interestingly enough, this is not a new command. This command dates back to Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. It's been around for centuries. So it's not for a lack of knowing or a lack of trying that the expert of the law is figuring out what matters the most to God. But all throughout these thousands of years, what was missing was the key ingredient to how a person loves God and loves others. They were missing a secret. And we call this the great commandment, right? Love God and love others. But there is a missing ingredient to the great command that Jesus fills in when he gave the new command. The new commandment, we looked at this a few weeks ago in John 13, where Jesus says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. That right there was the missing ingredient to how you love God and love people. Six words, love one another, love God, love people just as I have loved you. People have tried, they have strived to love God, but they had not yet experienced this most personal, intimate, transformative love from God in the person of Jesus. And as Jesus entered the scene 2,000 some years ago, he went to the cross, he died a brutal death, he rose from the grave and says, as I've loved you, now go and be free to love God and love others. The key to the great command is the new command. And this is eternal life. This is why we are created, because we have been so loved by God as seen in Jesus, his love now becomes the unstoppable force through which we love God and love people. And so we have taken the new command and the great command these words of Jesus and said that our mission is to experience and share the love of Jesus. It's bringing together these two commands, to experience and share the love of Jesus. And when we do these two things, as Jesus defines love, when we bring the greatest command and the new command, we will do the great commission. This leads us to making disciples and changing and transforming our world because we are overflowing with the love of Christ that is deep that is extraordinary, that is absolutely life-changing. So how do we do this? How, how do we live this out as a church family, as a collective community, not just merely as individuals? What does it look like to love God and to love others because we have been so loved by Jesus? So last week, we've been to roll out this strategy, things we've been doing as a church, but to give some clarity to who we are as a church and what it is that we do together as a body of Christ. First of all, we said that we worship together. That's what we looked at last week. We are called, we are designed to worship together. Individually, we are priests, but collectively, we are the priesthood. Individually, we are ambassadors, but collectively, we are the embassy of God, the people of God, the assembly 
of God. We worship together to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. See, before God ever calls you to a mission, he calls you to himself. Before he gives you something to do, he says, you are invited into this extravagant love relationship with the God of the universe. And as a church of Jesus, God has designed that we wouldn't do this alone or isolated, but together as his body, his bride, that we would worship together. Today I'm going to unpack the second two of our strategy. We are called here at Bentry to be known and to make a difference, to be known and to make a difference. To unpack the last two parts of our strategy, I want to continue in the conversation that Jesus has with the expert of the law in Luke chapter 10. See, the expert of the law now has a follow-up question. He gets the loving God part, but he's wondering, what does it really mean to love my neighbor? I'm thinking he had a really bad neighbor. And he's thinking, anyone but him. So could you define who my neighbor is, teacher? And so Jesus does. Luke 10 goes on, and you know the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, verse 29 onward says, But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion, who went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't answer the question of who is my neighbor. He tells this man, go and be a neighbor. And here's how. Now, I know you've heard this story so many times, and you've probably heard several messages on it if you've been around church. But today, I want to ask you to put two lenses that maybe you haven't seen the story through. Usually, we look at the story here through the lens of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan man. But there's two other individuals that I want you to see the story through. It's the man that's wounded on the road and the innkeeper that he entrusts this man with. This is a remarkable story as Jesus speaks of this man that's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So most likely the implication is that he's a Jewish man having worshipped at the temple. He's coming down to Jericho. That's the common path that they took and he fell into the hands of robbers and thieves. He is left, he is wounded, he is beaten up, left for half dead. This man is hurting, he is struggling. And just when he thinks there might be hope, he cites a, a priest and a Levite. And they cross 
to the other side of the road and pass him by. Now I know we're pretty quick to throw stones at the Levite and the priest, but actually they were doing exactly what was expected of them, what was required of them in the law. They couldn't come within six feet of somebody that was bleeding, so they crossed the road and went to the other side. They proved they were more committed to their religious laws and tradition than they were to noticing and helping this wounded man right in front of them. Imagine what's going through the mind of this wounded person. He is longing to be known. He is longing to be seen. He wishes he could raise his voice and, and voice his concerns, but he can't. If he could beg, he would. If he could plead, he would. If he could ask for help, he could. But there's no one to care for him. There's no one to help him. No one to come to his aid. So as he sees the priest and the Levite leaving his side, he's thinking there is absolutely no hope at all. And then, to his surprise and shock, a Samaritan comes by. Samaritan who was probably walking on the opposite side of the priest and the Levite. A Samaritan comes by and he has no expectation at all that the Samaritan would be the one that extends a helping hand. So a Samaritan comes by and what does he do? But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him and when he saw the man, he had compassion. This is so shocking to the readers who would have expected somebody else, anybody else other than the Samaritan to help him. Because you remember the long-held hostility between Jews and Samaritans. They hated each other. They wouldn't walk on the same path as each other. And in John 4, Jesus goes to Samaria and meets with a woman at the well. His disciples are wondering, what in the world are you doing speaking to a Samaritan woman here at the well? But Jesus crosses cultural and traditional boundaries because he saw that she needed rescue. She needed a savior and nothing would withheld him, withhold him from this Samaritan woman. But now it's as if Jesus flips the script. There, Jesus, the Jew, rescues a Samaritan. But here, a Samaritan man comes to the aid of who is likely a Jewish man. It's as if they could throw a mission statement. The Samaritans who had experienced the love of Jesus are now sharing this love. Those who have been rescued and reconciled are now rescuing others and being part of God's reconciling work in the world. This Samaritan man comes up, and what is it that he does? He came up to him, he saw him, and had compassion. So the imager is this, as a priest and the Levi crossed the road to pass this man. The Samaritan man comes on that farther away road, and he crosses the road to get to him. He crosses not just metaphorical boundaries of culture and religion and race. He crosses the physical chasm to come up to this wounded man, see him as he is, and care for him. Now in the story, we know ultimately that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. Because you and I, before we met Jesus, we were the wounded man. Sin wrecked our lives destroyed any sense of joy and peace, marred our soul, leaving it in jeopardy. 
And we weren't even conscious of how bad we had it. So Jesus, the good Samaritan, when religion couldn't save us, when our own efforts could not save us, he crossed the chasm of heaven and earth, and he came to our rescue. He bondaged, he bandaged us up. He healed our wounds. He poured out his blood to save us. He paid the ultimate price for our salvation. That's ultimately what Jesus does in rescuing you and rescuing me. And maybe today you feel like you're on the wayside. You can't even voice the cry for help. Jesus sees you. He knows you. He notices you. And he's extending his arms wide open to you and saying to you, you don't have to wait for rescue. Rescue has come. I've come to save you. I've come to redeem you. I've come to forgive you of yourself and of your sins. Here's rescue. But think about what this Samaritan man did. He comes up, he crosses the road, sees this wounded man and has compassion. I think for me, that describes what it means to be known. In fact, the vulnerability of being known is to grow daily in our relationship with Jesus and others here at Bentry. To say, God, see me as I am. See me as I fully am. I'm not offering to you my pretend self, as sometimes we can in settings like this, but I want to do life with others where you see me as I am and you go deep to work in my soul. It is allowing others to come up to you to see you as you are, and to extend compassion to you. Let me ask you a question. Outside of your spouse and your children here at Bentry, how many people actually know you? Does somebody actually know who you are? Isn't it time to live a life of being known? Isn't it time to let Jesus heal the deepest wounds of your soul in community? James says, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. There is this amazing power of healing that spreads when we are in relationship with one another. I hope a sermon changes your life, but most often it's not just content that brings transformation. It's community. It's people coming around you to know you as you are. Someone you can call at 2 a.m. and say, man, I'm dealing with anxiety. I've failed. I've messed up. I need help. Someone to walk with you one-on-one, maybe in a mentoring relationship, maybe in a Bible study as they wash over you with the word of God to grow you up in Jesus and to help you find healing to be known. But this is also an invitation for you to know others, for you to notice the hurting, the broken, the lost. Because perhaps this wounded man on the side of the street isn't somewhere else on a street far away. Perhaps this wounded person is down the road from you. Perhaps the hurting couple is sitting next to you. Perhaps they're in our services, maybe at the 11 o'clock, I don't know. Perhaps there are people in our own midst who are hurting, wounded, who haven't been able to even voice their cry for help. Perhaps you are the one that's hurting and wounded. And Jesus invites us to be known. This is the power of the body of Christ, the church, to not do life alone, but to be known. Andy Stanley, a few weeks ago, said it so beautifully in his sermon. He said, we all want to be known for something, but what we all need is to be known by someone. 
We all want to be known by f for something, we do some great things, achievements, reputation. We may think that that's our greatest need to be known for something, but actually the deepest human need is to be known by someone. A couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody was watching online with us and worshiping online, and, and as I was saying something about trusting God, she just voiced on the chat, it's really hard to trust God right now. Especially at my work, everything I've seen is unfair, it's unjust. I'm really struggling to trust God and to see people at my work as God sees them. She's writing this on the chat. And immediately, people who didn't know her, they begin to respond to her. They begin to encourage her. They begin to speak life to her. They begin to ask how they could serve her. They begin to write out prayers for her. One person expressed the need, and this whole online community, all of you online, you begin to surround her with encouragement and prayer. She was lifted up. But not only that, there was another person joining us online for the first time ever. First time ever to visit Bentry online. Never been here in person. And she sees what's happening on the chat. And she says, I don't know anything else about Bentry, but I love this church. Next Sunday, my husband and I, we're coming in person to this church because this is the kind of body we want to belong to. Way to go online. It's being known. And that happens week after week from group to group, Bible study after Bible study of people being known. It happens in my life group on Tuesday night. My life group section's over here. It's a moment to be known. <laughs> A few weeks ago when we closed on our house, they insisted that that night they would come over and for a few hours they prayed over every room, closet, and even bathrooms. I don't know why the bathrooms, but even the bathrooms. It's part of being known. So if you feel unknown here, we want to invite you to relationship. We want to invite you because this is part of the purpose you were created because even God exists in this beautiful relationship of the Trinity. You and I are invited to share life where we are known here. The second part, the last part, the third part of our strategy is to make a difference. We worship together. We gather in moments like this. We are known in smaller settings, whether it be one-on-one -on -one or in a group, whether it be men's ministry, women's ministry, whether it be in a support group. So many life-changing moments are happening in support groups right now. It's fascinating in a life group, in a serving room, to be known by somebody. The last one is an invitation to make a difference with your life. Not simply to be known, but to make a difference where we are sharing the love of Jesus in our church community and around the world. We are bringing the light of Christ to the darkest places in the world and right here in our community. And we're using our gifts to serve the body in ministry. I want to go back to the story, and I want you to imagine the difference that this wounded man on the side of the road has experienced. By now in the story, he's still bleeding. He's been seen, he's been known, and he's been noticed by the Good Samaritan, but he is still in pain. He's still hurting. He still has a great need. And notice the great difference that he goes through. Luke 10, verse 34 onwards, the Samaritan man went over to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on olive oil and wine. All the things that olive oil can be used for. <laughs> In ancient times, it soothed wounds, and wine was an antiseptic. I'm going to try that next time Avery has a fall. Okay, he poured on olive oil and wine to care for his wounds. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. This wounded man on the side of the road goes through a massive life change. He's cared for. His wounds are being taken care of. He didn't have any means of transportation, but the Good Samaritan provides that for him. And that's fascinating. And I think we would all agree that the person who makes the greatest difference here is the Good Samaritan, and that's true. But I want you to follow me for a second. I think, actually, that in the call to make a difference, we are more like the innkeeper than the Good Samaritan. In the invitation to make a difference in the world, to live out our purpose in the world, we are more like the innkeeper than the Good Samaritan. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate Good Samaritan, and we are the innkeeper. Notice here the Good Samaritan, he picks up this man, he takes him to the innkeeper, and he's the one who found the man, who begins to heal the man, and now hands him over to the innkeeper and says, I got to go away for a little while, so I need you to take care of him. And here's two denarii, which would have been two days' worth of wages. Or in other words, it would have also been three weeks' worth of lodging expense. He's saying, here's the money you need. Here's the resource you need. While I'm gone, take care of him. And if you need more money, when I come back, I'll reimburse you. And the implication is, you're going to need more than what I'm giving you. But the moment you need it, I'll supply. I'll give you what you need. Just take care of this man. And then he goes away. Isn't that what Jesus does? He finds the hurting. He finds the broken. And he brings them to you and I, the innkeeper. He says, I got to go away physically for a little while. But I'm handing the work of healing through you, I want to heal the world. Because the innkeeper became the conduit through which the good Samaritan carried on the work of healing while he was physically away. So Jesus says, I've got to go away, but here are gifts and abilities and resources. Here are purposes I want to give to your life. All I need from you is the inn. Your office, your heart, your home, and your time, your availability. I'm inviting you to open up your heart to me. And don't be overwhelmed. Because sometimes we think about that Good Samaritan story and we're thinking, I could never be a Good Samaritan all the time. Take the pressure off. All you need to be is an innkeeper. Jesus says, what do you need? I'll supply. What is it that you need? I'll supply. What gifts do you need? What supernatural power do you need? What ability do you need? What resource do you need to be my healing hands? To be my healing feet? To be my healing incarnational presence in the world? Whatever you need, I'll supply. But join me in the mission of bringing healing to the world. Jesus is looking for innkeepers. Who can he bring the, he- the hurting to? Who can he bring the broken to? Who can he trust with abilities, gifts, and resources? <laughs> so that we don't hold him like this, but we hold him like this. Think, oh, whatever I have is from you. My time, my abilities, my gifts, it's all from you. And I want to serve the hurting, the broken. Yes, the Good Samaritan made a whole lot of difference. But he needed the innkeeper for while he was away physically to carry on 
his work. And in that, the innkeeper joins the Good Samaritan in making a difference. We often talk about making a first impression or a lasting impression. But what's better than making a lasting impression is making a lasting difference. Making with your life a lasting difference that will outlive your own life to make a lasting difference. And I can't imagine for this wounded, hurting man for the rest of his life, I imagine for the rest of his life, he is not really thinking about all that the robbers and thieves took from him. He is thinking more about all that was graciously given to him. He's thinking about this good Samaritan and this innkeeper who had pity on him, who had deep compassion on him, who picked him up and nursed his wounds, put him on their back, and cared for him. Greater than the stinging wounds of his body is the love that healed him and restored him and rescued him. He doesn't live as a victim anymore of abuse or injustice. No, he lives as a recipient of grace. Because someone saw him, someone cared for him, someone opened up the inn and said, oh, I'll, put every, I'll put away everything else because you matter. Your healing matters to God. I'll serve you. That's the invitation to make a difference. So what does that look like here at Bentry to make a difference? A few ways we invite you to make a difference. You can make a difference in how we serve, share, go, and give. How we serve, how we share, how we go, and how we give. When you serve in ministries like right now, people are serving in children's ministry, students' ministry, special needs, hospitality. There's a ton of people serving with their gifts, their passion, doing it together. When you serve in ministry, maybe throughout the week you are serving in some ministry, you are making a difference because all of our ministries are centered around people. It's a healing project of people experiencing the healing power of God, of kids and students finding who they are in Christ, of adults being restored to the fullness of joy and life that Christ has for them. Anytime you serve, you're opening your hands to be the hands of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we invited across two Sundays for you to come and be a part of Lunch and Learn and find ways to serve. And across those couple of weeks, we had over 61 new people sign up to serve here in ministry. Let's give it up for that. 61 new people. Say, I wanna serve. I've got gifts and talents and passions I wanna utilize for God's glory. And if you've got FOMO, it's not too late. You can jump right in and serve with us. We make a difference when we serve. We make a difference when we share. And by that I mean when we share our story and the story of Jesus, when we engage in spiritual conversations with people, when we share this good news of the resurrection of Jesus that has transformed our life, when we share hope with people, when we share it with a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member, we might be making the ultimate difference in someone's life when we share Christ crucified with the world. Oh, we gotta share him. That's why you heard a few times now what we're calling the Scent Campaign in the fall, a six-week series, a six-week emphasis on all of our groups where we're talking about your identity, not just mine, but your identity, our identity as a scent people. Sometimes we notice the hurting, but other times we got to go to the hurting. We got to look for the hurting. They're hurting people all around you. And when you see yourself as a sent person, you begin to see life in a whole new light. You begin to see people, even the people that drive you crazy, in a whole new light. Because you are a sent person. 
So for six weeks, all of our groups are going to be doing this, and we're going to be launching a ton of new groups, many that will meet right here on campus on Sunday mornings, because we want to make it as easy as it can be for you to be equipped, challenged, inspired to live a sent life. We want to see every single member at Bentry for six weeks being reminded, being taught, being growing, growing, and what it means to be a sent person. So in that we're going to be looking for new group leaders. And if you want to be a sent leader for six weeks, maybe pulling away from your current group or starting a new group, you can sign up to serve as a sent leader for six weeks. It'll be a blessing to you, and you will be a blessing to so many people. We will equip you with everything you need to lead a group for just six weeks. We make a difference when we serve, when we share our story, when we go, when we go on mission, when we partner with local ministry partners that we work with, when we go here locally to end human trafficking and homelessness and hunger in our region, when we go to villages and towns, as our team just came back from India, as we go all throughout the world to bring the message of Jesus to those who have yet to hear her, we are making a difference. We are starting back our mission journeys, and we invite you to consider at least once a year to go on a mission trip. Maybe it's local, maybe it's global, maybe it's with your family, maybe it's by yourself, maybe it's with a group. Go on a mission journey. It's the mission of God that has birthed our church, and it's the mission of God that has kept the church here in this world. Otherwise, we would be in heaven face-to-face with Jesus, but there are still some who have yet to hear, and God is being patient, not being slow to keep his promise, but being patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to experience repentance and eternal life in Jesus. Would you go? Maybe it's locally, maybe it's globally. Use your life as a sent person looking for the hurting. The last way is that we give. We give. I love this in the story that the Good Samaritan gave financial resources to the innkeeper. That resource ultimately didn't belong to the innkeeper. It was borrowed. It was to be stewarded. How odd would it have been that the innkeeper took those resources and kept it all to himself? He wouldn't have done that because there's a day that the Good Samaritan will return and he will be held accountable. In the same way, God has given you and I so many financial resources and blessings. And all he's asking for is, look, it's already mine. (laughs) I've given it to you. Would you return a portion of that to the ministries at your church, to missions around the world, to where your giving makes an eternal difference in the lives of people? We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to see God transform lives. Your generosity controls the pace of who and how many nations, how many towns, how many families will be impacted by the love of Jesus right here through Bentry. So in the New Testament, as we talked last week about this first day of the week gathering, they would come together and they would, in keeping with their income, a portion, a percentage of their income would be set aside for ministries and for kingdom work in the world. We invite you to do that regularly here at Bentry, to set aside a portion, a percentage, whatever that might be. However, God leads you into that through prayer and faith and trusting God. Say, God, I want to return to you a portion of what you've so lavished onto me so that my giving can be used by God to transform lives. When you give to ministries, you're impacting students and children, everything that's happening here at Bentry, you are allowing ministry to happen. When you give directly to missions, and that's an amazing option, we invite you to do so. When you give directly to missions, it goes 100%, but it goes directly to missionaries and partners that have been vetted 
so that we can carry on the healing work of Jesus in towns we may never get to, in cities and countries you may never step into, 100% goes to helping people in need. So we invite you to make a difference, serving, sharing, giving, and going. A few weeks ago, I was finishing a service and two ladies came up to me at the end of the service and so excited to share me, share with me how they came to Bentry. And so I was excited to hear. And so I asked them, don't tell me how you got here. And they said, it all started at Olive Garden. That's a good story. But it all starts at Olive Garden. They said they've been feeling a nudge in their heart to go back to church. It's been so long, years, ever since they've been to church been feeling a sense of calling to go back to church. And they said it was so overwhelming just to even think about how do we find a church. So we went to eat at Olive Garden. That's what you do when you get overwhelmed. You go to eat at Olive Garden. I'm not being sponsored by Olive Garden, by the way. But they went to eat at Olive Garden. And as they were overhearing, overhearing a conversation next to them, there was another couple next to their table who was finishing their meal. And they asked their server, we need to speak to your manager. And it has to be the manager. That usually doesn't go well. Well, there's two ladies, they overheard that and their ears perked up and they said, what's this about? So this couple asked for the manager and the manager comes up and says, ma'am, sir, do you have a problem? Can we help you with anything? They said, oh, we've got a major problem. They said, we have been unable to find good service in any restaurant here locally until today. And your server has taken such good care of us. They've been so loving, so amazing. You ought to give her a raise. She's the best employee you got. They began to shower kindness and encouragement to the manager regarding the server. The manager was taken aback by all of this kindness. I guess he doesn't get that usually. And so he said, thank you so much for being so kind. The two ladies are overhearing all this and they said, we gotta just go and say hi to this couple. We gotta at least meet them. See, so they walk over to this couple and said, what you did was amazing. I would have never expected that. Why did you do that? Are you related to this person? <laughs> Why did you do that? They said, no. That just happens when the love of Jesus overflows from your heart. That was the response of the couple. We have the love of Jesus and we can't help but let this overflow from our hearts. The two ladies said, so you're Christians. Well, we're thinking about going back to church. Where do you go to church at? And of course they said, Bentry Bible Fellowship. Now, if someone asks you where you go to church and you are not being kind or nice, please name some other church. Whatever other church, don't name Bentry. We don't want to experience and share bad attitude. We want to experience and share love. But they said, we go to Bentry. And in two weeks, those two ladies started attending and their lives have been transformed. Can we just praise God for that one story? All this couple was doing was out of the abundance of God's love, sharing it. They experienced it, so they said, let's find somebody to bless. Never knowing that at least four people that day would be transformed, the waitress, the manager, and these two ladies. Whatever you do, you can make a difference. God's given you kindness, the gift of time, resources. And he's saying, come, be known as a part of this family. Make a difference. And together we get to weekly worship together. That's what experiencing and sharing the love of Jesus looks like. So I want to say thank you for being on this mission with us. Let's go all in. And I got a feeling in my heart that great days are ahead of us. And that's not because we are awesome. 
That's because Jesus, the ultimate good Samaritan, keeps finding more and more people that he wants to heal through you, through me, through our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're looking for innkeepers, for those who would receive the gifts you give, the time you give, the resources and gifts and abilities that you pour out. They would open it, open their hands and say, God, use me. Use me to share Christ. Use me to give financially. Use me to, to go on a mission trip. Use me to serve my church. Maybe some are not yet there, but they need to know one another. Maybe they're feeling isolated and, and alone. May today be the day that they begin relationships with others here at Bentry. To open up their heart, giving somebody the opportunity to come up, see them as they are, and extend compassion. When we gather, we are not just a group of random people. We are your body, your family. And our worship together is even more meaningful when we are known. Maybe today, guys, someone is on the side of that road wondering where help will come from. Today, we look to Jesus, who took the risk when we couldn't pay you back, and you loved us enough to die for us. You took our wounds on yourself. The greatest injustice, worse than what the man went through, you went through, so that in and through you, we could have eternal life. This is the purpose for which we've been created. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.